Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining the chapel live stream today. Would you please join us in worship? Let's sing, Oh, we give you praises. the uh... 
sing, you stood before creation. You stood before creation. Eternity in your hands. You spoke the earth into motion. My soul now to stay.
We offer our hearts to you this morning. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you. Thank you for the age-old truth, God, of your salvation through your Son, the death of Jesus on the cross, the resurrection of our Savior, our King, our Lord, so that righteousness and perfection can be ours instead of the stain of sin. And through the resurrection of Christ, we are empowered. We are co-heirs with Christ to be salt and light in this world. We thank you, God, for the words of these songs. We thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your heart for the world. You are never far from us. Your word says that you are close to the brokenhearted and that you save those who are crushed in spirit. And Lord, I just um, speak right now to, to any hearts that are broken, any hearts that are hurting today. And I ask that you would bind them up. You would bind up the broken, Lord. You would heal those who are crushed in spirit. You would be close. Your presence would be felt. God, it's unfathomable that a perfect Lord and King who created this world could draw so close to his creation. And yet that is exactly what you do and that is exactly who you are and who you revealed yourself as through Jesus. God, I pray that through the message of Pastor James today that um, those truths would continue to go forth, that you would speak to hearts, you would speak to lives, you would... Um, break down lies and discouragement and despair with the truth that you are close to the brokenhearted and that you are the God who sees. You are the God who hears. You are not far from each one of us. God, we praise you for that truth. And we thank you for this time of worship. May you move mightily and empower through Pastor James and through the rest of our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Father's Day to those that are fathers out there today. And um, just want to uh, offer the Hyde family our, uh, our condolences at the passing of Cy this week. And we're praying for Louise and her family, and we uh, lift them up during this time. It, this has been such a really difficult time for so many people, so many losses, so many struggles, uh, so many trials. And we have one from our own family here uh, so we're praying for the Hyde family this morning. Uh, before I open, I'd like to pray. And as we go into this passage, I want you to hear about what God has for those that are, are so discouraged, so uh, despondent, so brokenhearted. And maybe you're going through that time right now. Maybe you're experiencing uh, an immense amount of pain and you're just not sure where God is in the midst of it. And what we want you to hear is a God who, who sees you and a God who cares and a God who uh, hears all the struggles that you're going through, hears your afflictions, hears you, and is pursuing you this morning. Would you pray with me? So, Lord, Father, it's on this Father's Day as we um, begin this passage about Abram, the father, um, and all the conflict that's going to come. It's mothers like Sarai and Hagar that we're going to look at this morning. Lord, it's, it's conflict that's going to happen when we, when we fail to trust you and fail to follow your word. It's, and then it's the pain of loss, Father, um, as, as Sarai experienced, as, as our Hyde family is experiencing, our church family is experiencing now. Lord, so many people in this world are, are feeling great levels of oppression and and feeling so despondent, feeling mistreated, feeling violated, feeling undervalued today, Father. And, and you hear that time after time. And, and many of the truths that come out of Genesis chapter 16 will help us to understand how are we to respond in the midst of this? How are we to uh, look to you? 
Lord, I pray that as we see this passage, we would see human failure, but that we see your blessed son. I, I pray that you would help us to see his, his grace and how he lived our lives because we could not live our lives righteously. He did for us. He, he took your wrath for our sin upon himself amazingly, Lord. Lord, he, he died on a cross for us. He rose victoriously for us. He is seated at your right hand right now for us. He is interceding for us. So, Lord, I pray that we would trust your word. I pray that we would be seeking your glory. I pray that we would be believing you. And I pray that we'd be growing in a greater love for each other, but more importantly, a greater love for you. In Jesus' matchless, holy, and powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 15. So last week I had the opportunity to give you a sermon called The Promise Driven Life. And if you remember, in that sermon, um, God came to Abram. And as he came to Abram, he came to Abram in a vision. And he says, he began that section by saying, fear not. And, and so many of us are fearing today. And he says, fear not. And then what he did was he made two promises. He has said, I am your shield and I am your very great reward. So he gave him those two. And then Abram had mentioned the fact that I have my problem. And the problem is clear. I, you're telling me I'm going to have all of these children and I don't have even one right now. And it is almost as if God took Abram by the hand and he took him by the hand and he walked him outside in a starlit night. And he says, Abram, look up into the skies and I want you to try to count the stars if you can. You know, years earlier, God had given him the sand. He says, look at the sand on the shore, and I'm going, to, I'm going to give you people greater than that number. It's so amazing what God has done. So now God says, I'm going to promise this to you. And then God took a custom of that time, and what they did was they took those animals, if you remember, and they, they cut the animals in two, Abram did. And normally, what would happen is that the two people that were going to be in covenant would walk between those two pieces. And what they were in essence saying is this, that if I break my covenant to you, then I will become like these dead animals on the side. But if you remember, what was so dramatic about that passage in Genesis 15 was that God alone walked through the pieces. It was a one-sided covenant. God walked through the pieces. Abram is over here sleeping. God walks through the pieces on a one-sided covenant, an eternal covenant, and he promises Abram that I'm going to bless you. He ends that chapter with, I'm going to bless you with land, but he had mentioned that he is going to bless him with children, amazingly. And so Abram, if you remember, the central portion of Genesis 15 was that Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You know, Paul in Romans chapter 4 was trying to deal with this issue of how we are saved. And he was saying that we are saved just the same way as we've always been saved. From Genesis all the way through, we are saved the same way. We are saved by being justified by grace through faith. And that Abram, our father, Father Abraham, was justified by grace through faith. And we are as well. And he's saying that the salvation that Abram had is the same salvation that we have. He was looking forward to a redeemer. We look back at a redeemer, but it's still justification. And Abram believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Have you ever noticed that it's on those mountaintop experiences of your life that you find yourself struggling. I can remember coming back from spiritual retreats where it was like I was just so high on God, so excited about getting into his word, and then I would have an incredible fall right afterwards. You, you remember throughout stories in scripture, we have several of those passages. You remember Elijah when he was with the prophets of Baal, and he had this great triumph that God had created this great triumph from him. And then right after that, Jezebel threatens his life in 1 Kings. And what happens with, with um, Elijah? Elijah struggles with believing God. He lost faith and confidence in God, and he ran away. He actually wished he could die. This passage is to people of faith. 
Yes, they're non-believers that I am hopefully listening, they're hopefully listening to me this morning, but this is primarily to people of faith who, who know God, have trusted God, have believed God, and are therefore justified by grace through faith. But we struggle. I want you to think about this. Decisions that you make, every decision that you make, is, is so significant. Every decision that we make, whether it's the most inconsequential decision or the largest decision, every decision that we make is going to have consequences. It says this in Galatians chapter 6, whatever one sows, that will they also reap. See, what will happen is this, every decision that we make whether it's a decision of a job or a decision of a life partner, a decision of the church that we go to, a decision of where we live, all of the decisions, even the smallest decisions, all the largest decisions, can have a powerful impact in our lives. And they're going to bring consequences. We're going to find in this passage that the decision that Abram and Sarah are going to make are going to have consequences that are still impacting our world today. So our decisions, if not funneled through the word of God, if not brought prayerfully to God, will struggle and cause us to struggle mightily. Well, let's look at this passage in Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on contempt with me. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, and the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from, and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. And he shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Ber Lahairoi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Now, this is God's sufficient, eternal, authoritative, life-giving, and life-changing word. So, Lord, we pray that as we open this word, that you will teach us about yourself, that you will teach us about your son, that you will teach us about our, our struggles, and I, that you will teach us about life. And that you will help us to see that our only answer is found in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remind us that you can take even our brokenness, even our failures, even our struggles, and bring it out good, good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So every decision that we make is going to have consequences. So what I want you to see this morning, this, there was a song um, 
heard a sermon and they were talking about um, Frank Sinatra's song. Remember it? I did it, what? My way, right? And as the pastor was talking about that, he was talking about the fact that in essence, isn't that exactly what our struggle is? This, this great ballad of American culture is really at the heart of what is the problem here? I did it my way. Now, as you heard the story, as I read it, it probably seemed a little off-putting to you. You saw that Sarah struggled right now because she's not pregnant. They have the promise that God has given to Abram that he's going to have kids greater than the sand on the shores or greater than the stars in the sky. But she has not even one child at the moment. And Sarah is old and she's concerned and she's struggling. And so what she does is she has this problem and she says, I'm going to figure out how to fix this. And as I was reading this and as I was studying this this week, I was thinking about how many ways I've done the same thing. And maybe you have. How many people have I sat down with in in counseling or pastoring work where I did it my way and the struggles that have come? In the middle of the story, you saw the solution that they came up with, which, which is probably off-putting to you, that she would give her, ch- her husband to another woman to make her get her pregnant so that she could have a child. We're going to see that that was just part of the culture of that time. And we see that instead of consulting God and his word, they were consulting the culture and their word. And that's where we go off track, and that's where so many of us do. And then we're going to see all the consequences that come out of this. But let's jump into it right now. I want you to see in verse 1 the unwanted solution. The unwanted solution. I want you to see this, that as we begin this section, we see that Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. The unwanted solution. Well, they wanted a child and they wanted children that were going to be greater than the sands or the stars, but they don't even have one this time. And this barrenness was a significant struggle. Now, barrenness today in our society is, is, is a challenge for so many women that struggle with infertility. So many women today struggle with that. But in that culture, it was even worse in the fact that you would be looked down upon in the culture if you didn't have children. The barrenness was a sign of rejection in that culture. And the barrenness was a sign that there was something wrong in the sorrow and misery of wanting your own child. But then the culture looking down upon you because you don't have children. That's what Sarah was going through. This was her dilemma. She had known that the promise was great, but she did not see it coming into fruition. And there's so many of us struggle with that, that the pressure of the infertility was creating this pressure in her life. And I don't know what the unwanted situation is for you, but I know that there are challenges, there's pressures, there's struggles that all of us have. And these, these challenges are going to come upon us, and they're going to put pressure upon us, and we're going to feel pressure from the inside, we're going to feel pressure from the outside. That was their unwanted situation. Unwanted situation is that I want a baby. I want to see God's promise fulfilled. Remind yourself of this. These are people of faith. And these people of faith believed God's promise that he was going to give them a child, but he just didn't know how. And so what happened is this. We see in verse 1, she had a female Egyptian servant whose name is Hagar. So she had this servant that was there, this nice, kind servant that was part of her. And Sarah believed that God was preventing her in some way from having a child. Well, it was clear at this point that God had not given her a child. So this unwanted solution that she was having right now is that I just don't understand. It reminded me, you remember in in Mark chapter 9, verse 24, where the father said, I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're struggling right now with, I do believe God, but I'm struggling with, I just don't understand. And that's, that's where Sarai was at. So this unwanted situation is that she's not bearing a child right now. That led to an unwise choice, verse 2. Verse 2, it says this, And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall bear children by her. What is amazing here is right now that they've gone to this unwise choice. The unwanted situation has now led to this unwise choice. Sarai is trying to figure out how I can make this work. How can I take God's truth 
and make it work. She's trying to fix the solution. It's her plan. And in essence, I don't know if she realizes that she's marginalizing God. She is saying that I'm going to make God's plans work my way. And once again, I don't know how oftentimes I've done that in my life. Maybe you have as well. I'm sure you have. Where you have heard God's word, heard God's truth, heard God's way, and you've chosen to go a different way. You know, we have this pragmatic thing that we have in life, that the ends justify the means, that if I can get the baby, see, they see that as the end, it doesn't matter how I got there. (laughs) And that's so many of us today, that we make these unwise choices, and that's what Sarai is doing. We see that Sarai came to Abram, and we see that she said, maybe you should just go in and take my servant. Now, what I want you to consider is this. This is just part of their culture. This is part of the norm in that culture, concubines. That if, if, a ma, if a wife could not bear a child, that it would not be unusual for that husband to take on another woman, a concubine. A form of marriage, a lower level of marriage, but he would take on this concubine and that he would have children by her. And what was also in this culture is that because Hagar was Sarai's servant, the child born to Hagar, I mean, born to Hagar, would be Sarai's. So this was just part of culture. There would be nobody looking around saying that what they were doing was wrong. Nobody looking around doing what they were, uh, were going to do and saying that it was immoral. That the culture actually would have approved of this. I see that's telling. How much do we see in our own culture that tells us that it is right to do the things that we're doing and affirm those things and we find out it's so ungodly. It doesn't go against, it goes against God's word. And so what we see is that there is this level of um, marginalizing God. And in essence, it led to some level of self-destruction that was happening in her life. She says, take this woman. And Abram here, it says at the end of verse 2, Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. I want you to think back about Genesis chapter 3. You remember when when God in Genesis 1 and 2 had created this world and he had created this world so beautiful and every day he created, he said, it was good, it was good, it was good. And when he created man and woman, he says, it was very good. And I've told you before that when God created humanity, he created humanity dependent. He created humanity dependent upon their count, his counsel and that they will be molded and shaped and changed by the counsel that they listen to. That's the way God has created us. And as long as humanity listened to the word of God, believed him and trusted him, then their lives would follow and they would follow in the footsteps of God. But the dilemma is, is that as soon as another counselor comes in, and we see that in Genesis chapter 3, another counselor, Satan, comes in to that situation. And you remember what happened is that instead of going to the leader of the family, Adam, Satan went to who? Eve. He went to Eve and he got her to do three things. Doubt the word of God, doubt the character of God, and doubt the authority of God. That's Satan's plan with all of us. Disbelieve God's word, disbelieve God's character is goodness, and disbelieve the consequences God's authority. Well, what happened, if you remember the story, story in Genesis 3, um, Eve is now going to eat the fruit and then she's going to give that fruit to who? Adam. And Adam is going to eat the fruit and amazingly what happens right after that, you remember the story, they felt shame. And so what did they do with that shame? As we all try to do, rather than running to God, what did they do? They tried to fix it themselves. And so what did they do? They covered up. They, they grabbed these fig leaves to cover up their nakedness because they seemed to believe that the shame was coming from outside rather than from inside. They thought the brokenness was coming from outside rather than inside. And what did they do? They covered up their shame. But then what did they do when they heard God coming? They ran in fear. They escape and in fear. I want you to see this pattern that happens in this chapter in Genesis 16 because it's the exact same pattern. They covered up their shame. They ran in fear. And then what do they do? They blamed. Now, if you remember, Adam blamed Eve. And then who did Eve blame? Eve blamed the serpent. And as Moses is writing this passage in Genesis 16, he is saying, I want you to remember what happened in Genesis 3 because it's being repeated. 
And so see the pattern. What did Abram do? Abram listened to the voice of his wife. Adam listened to the voice of his wife. Eve gave a fruit to Adam. Sarai gave a woman to Abram. And now the consequent struggles that are going to come from doubting God's word, doubting God's character, and doubting God's authority. Watch what happens here. So we've gone from an unwanted situation to an unwise choice, verse 2, to the unintended consequences. Unintended consequences, verse 3 through 6. I want you to see a family now that is in crisis. The harmony of this family has been, you know, been breaking over the years. There's been struggles over the years, and we're going to see a little bit of that. And, but right now, it has now been broken, and we've seen it in amazing ways. Verse 3 says this, So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. So, so what they did was there was a ceremony or some type of thing. Rather than the father giving away the bride, what happened here is that Sarai gave away her servant to, uh, to Abram. And what's amazing here for, Sarah, uh, for Hagar is this. Hagar has no choice in the matter. She is just being passed around like she's nothing and that she has no value. She, here, you take her, you go sleep with her, you give, you make a child with her. She's almost like a baby machine. They're not even thinking about her. What's amazing also in this passage is they don't even mention her by name. Abram and Sarah, when they talk about Hagar, they mention her as the servant. They see her in the role that she's playing, not her identity of who she is. They don't name her. And it's like, so he went in and took her. So Sarah took Hagar, her Egyptian servant, and gave her to her husband. And now he becomes, she becomes his concubine. And, Hebrar, and Abram took Hagar, and then she conceived. I want you to see how passive Abram is here. How compliant Abram is. I want you to see that men, and I'm talking to you today on Father's Day, how many of us struggle with passivity and compliant behavior. Now, we're not supposed to rule over harshly. You know, Bible talks clearly about that. But there is a leadership that we are called to exercise in our homes. There's a leadership that we're called to exercise in our marriages. There's a leadership that we're called to exercise among our children. And he, Abram, follows none of that right now. He's not acting as the spiritual leader here. I would have hoped that Abram would have said, honey, you remember, let me tell you the story again. You weren't with me, but when God took me out to see the sand, we're going to have children that are greater than that. And then, then God took this, looked at the stars and he says, look at all the stars. We're going to have greater children than that. I, I need you to trust God through this, that he should have taken her by the hand and, and lovingly directed her in a right way but he did not do that what he did was he just complied well abram has been doing that at times throughout his life and it's amazing that this guy who went and fought four kings to get back his family um, lot and his family that kind of um, strength has now become passivity when it comes before his wife I guess that's another issue that we have to consider that we need to be very careful in our relationships that we don't just give in to anything that people around you say just because they're close to you. It's oftentimes where Satan will use people that are so close to you, so intimate to you, to take you off track. And they, they may not want to do that, but the reality is that if it's not following God's word and God's way, that can take you off track, and we need to be very careful of that. Abraham should have exercised spiritual leadership here. He did not. And what was the unintended consequence? Let's continue in verse 4. It says, And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Hagar has been put into a oppressed situation situation she has been mistreated maybe devalued and i've already said they don't even mention her by name she's been passed around like some sex toy that is going to be around that some baby machine that is going to be around for them and now she is now in a position where she's pregnant and maybe she's having some pride in her heart in her life and maybe the anguish that she had been experiencing before now what happens she is now experiencing some elevation, pride. 
And now she's starting to look down. See, I was able to bear a child with this man. You couldn't. After all these years, and I don't know what was going through Hagar's mind, but she is looking down on contempt to her, sir, to her ma- mistress. And Sarai is struggling. Sarai has been struggling with the anguish and the discomfort and the pain of the loss of not having a child and hearing God's promises and I can't fulfill it. Is Have I done something wrong? Is God upset with me? And then what I try to do is to try to fix it and I try to fix it and then what happens? I fix it and then what happens? This, this servant is looking down on me. I used to be your number one, Abram, but now she is making me look like number two or three or four or worse. Maybe you felt that way before. And so all the anguish, the jealousy, the hurt, the rejection that Sarah's feeling, Sarah's feeling worthless and rejected. Maybe you are feeling that way this morning. We see in verse 5, it says this, And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me, you and me. Now Sarai is really not taking any level of responsibility here. She, she was the one that had offered this to Abram, and she had offered her servant to Abram. But in reality, the way God has established homes is that the husband is called to be the leader. And in many ways, Abram failed his leadership role here. And some ways, Sarai is right, that Abram should have protected her. And he didn't. But the issue of blame and no responsibility is just parts of the fruit of the garden. We had talked about it. Shame, we cover up. Fear, we run and hide. Blame, we, uh, guilt, we blame one another. And so now we see in verse 6, it gets even worse. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant, once again, not named, is in your power. Do to her as you please. So Hagar was a menial servant. She was raised to be a concubine, a sort of wife of Abram. But now what has Abram done? He has devalued her again and put her back. She's your servant. She's not my wife. She's your servant. You do whatever you want. Once again, there's passivity that happens with Abram. There is a, an avoidance. He's avoiding consequences again. And he's trying to push it off to somebody else. And in some ways, Abram is acting selfishly. And Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. It's interesting that the same word here where it says harshly is the same word used in Exodus of how the Egyptians treated the Israelites that were in Egypt in slavery. And so as they were in slavery, the taskmasters, as they were treating them harshly, that's the same word that's being used here, that Sarai is, is treating her, um, abusing her in some way or another, verbally. Maybe she's looking down on her, saying, you're just nothing but a servant. You know, your baby means nothing. I don't know what kind of words, but she is harshly dealing with Hagar. So Abram bowed to the wishes of his wife. Sarai abused Hagar. And what did Hagar do? She fled from her. Once again, the garden all over again. What do we see? We see shame covered up, fear run and hide, guilt we blame. So I want you to think about this, that the unintended consequences of our sin are often great. I don't think we often tend to think about the sins and what sin does. Sin defiles us. Sin causes so many of the struggles that we have in our lives today. I want you to think about all of the struggles between humanity and God are because of sin. All of the struggles that humanity and humanity have with one another are because of sin. And even all the struggles that we will have with humanity and creation is because of sin. Sin runs deep. Sin is deceptive, but sin is so destructive. That when we fail to believe God, when we fail to believe his word, when we fail to submit to his authority, when we fail to trust God's goodness, we are opening ourselves up to sin. And the ripple effect is great. Now, once again, these are believers. These are people of faith. And what has happened, though, is this. We will find that people of faith can do disastrous things in their lives because they fail to follow God's word. I need you to hear that this morning. 
that the sin that is happening here is causing all of the destruction and all the misery and all the trials and all the troubles that they're having here. I want you to hear this, that anytime we go down a path where we have our own solutions, it will lead to great problems. Did you notice that there's one thing that has not happened here? No one has consulted God. Throughout this whole thing, no one has gone and I want to remind myself of God's word. Now, we have the privilege of having a written word. They didn't, but they could have reminded themselves of what God had said, but they didn't. That God didn't say that I'm going to give you a child through Sarai, but if they remember all the way back when God had created humanity, he brought one man and one woman together in marriage. That there was not an addition. And so if they reminded themselves of that truth, if they reminded themselves of that promise, they would have had to know that a child was going to come through Sarai. But they didn't believe God's word. They didn't trust it. They never even went to God in prayer. And how many times do you and I do the same thing where we make these decisions and we don't consult God in prayer? All the scheming that we do leave no room for God. Leave no room for faith. All the human reasoning, in essence, I think what we're trying to do is help out God to keep his promises. Well, God doesn't need help keeping his promises. He's God and we're not. But so many times we forget this. And I want you to think about this. If you remember back earlier in Abram's life, this is an interesting reversal of what happened. Now, you remember when Abram was going into Egypt... And he was faithless, and he was fearful because Sarai was so beautiful. You remember what happened? And he says, I want you to lie, and I want you to capitulate, and I want you to go into Pharaoh's home and say that you're my sister. And you remember what happened. Abram did that, and then all of a sudden God brought this curse upon Pharaoh and his people. And then it was realized that Abram was lying to them, and that Sarah was not just his sister, technically, but she was his wife. And you remember what happened there, that he left Egypt. They drove him out of Egypt, but then they also gave him servants. So it was Abram's sin earlier has now led to this servant that is now back here. And now what has happened? The role role reversal. Abram gave Sarai to another person. Well, Sarai gave Abram to another person. Interesting role. When we find ourselves justifying, using the ends to justify our means, we will find ourselves going with great struggles. I want you to remind yourself of this, that when you forget God's word, when you forget God's glory... When you forget about believing him and loving him, what's going to happen in your life and in my life is that we're going to become disobedient. We're going to become self-glorying our way. And we're going to act in unbelief. And then we're going to act in unloving ways to others. Well, that's exactly what's happened here. It's all this mess and all the pride and all the terror and all the pain and all the misery has come from the fact that they didn't trust God. They didn't trust God. Okay, so now we have this unwanted situation. We have the unwise choice. We have the unintended consequences. And now the unexpected blessing. The unexpected blessing. Look here in verse 7. Now we've we've seen Sarai has been harsh to Hagar. And Hagar runs away. And she's fleeing. It says in verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her by the spring in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. Now, from what I can understand, this is really close to Egypt. She has gone a pretty long way here. That she has been, this has not been just a quick journey. I think I heard that it is about a six-day journey at that time. And so this is a pregnant woman with no means, is trying to get to back to her land, back to Egypt. She says, I can't deal with this any longer. She leaves and she runs away. But what I see beautifully here is that God sees Hagar. God sees Hagar. He found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, in the spring on the way to Shur. God is a seeking God. We are lost in this world, and and we would never come to God unless he came to find us. Jesus says, you did not find me or did not choose me. I chose you. 
and that God has been so gracious to come from heaven to earth in his son, that Jesus Christ left heaven to come to earth to save us. Well, many theologians believe, scholars believe, that this is a pre-incarnate Christ. That before Jesus Christ took on a human body 2,000 years ago, that he had times in the Old Testament where he would visit people. And this is perhaps one of those. And that he's coming as an angel of the Lord. And he's a seeking God. I want you to think about the woman at the well. Jesus went to find her. That's an amazing God. He says, I had to go and find her. I want you to think of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, this this small man up in the tree, and he says, I'm coming to your house today. I want you to think about a lost coin, a lost sheep, a lost son, that God is coming to find lost people today. And he did that with Sarai, I mean with Hagar. He finds her. Luke 10, 19.10 says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That is the gospel. That Jesus Christ left heaven to come here for earth, to live the life we could never live, to die a death in our place, so that what? We can have salvation with him. What a blessed word. Sarah probably felt that like she was a nobody. She was a servant, given away by her own land to this man. And now she is following this man and this woman to a different land. She's like a nobody. She's thrown away by her own people. And now she is a nobody in this person's house. Now she's been elevated to be a wife, but now she's been demoted again to be a nobody. And she's thinking, I am nobody. Maybe you're feeling that way today. It says in verse 8, he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I find it so interesting that the God oftentimes will ask questions. He will ask questions not because he needs information. God knows everything. He's all-knowing. He's all-wise. He asks information to solicit from us. He did that back in Genesis chapter 3. If you get a chance to read it, he says to Adam, Adam, did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat from? God already knew it, but what he was doing was he was calling Adam to take responsibility. He's doing the same here with Hagar. I find it interesting that it's the first time that she is called by name by a character in the, in the passage. It says he calls her by name because he called her Hagar. You are a person. You're special. You're important to me. That's what God is saying. I created you. And I actually believe that Hagar is a believer here. So if if she is truly a believer, then it's not only if I called you by name, not only if I created you my my creation, but you are part of my family, Hagar. Calls her by name. And they ask her the two questions. You see the two questions. Where have you come from and where are you going? I think these are really good questions. They're good questions because what they do is they, they ask you about your past, but then they also ask you about your future. As you, as you examine the past, where have you come from? Tell me your story. Tell me about what your life and tell me what's going on. But then I don't want you just to tell me your story of where you've been. I want you to tell me your story of where you think you're going. Where are you going? It's interesting that she answers the first question, but she doesn't answer the second because she doesn't have a clue of where she's going. Verse 9, it says this, Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Now this may sound harsh to you. He says, Return to your mistress and submit to her. Two questions and then two commands. The two questions, where have you come from and where are you going? The two commands, return and submit. What, what God is doing here is this. Hagar, I need you to trust me. See, nobody in the story has been trusting God. Nobody in the story, at least to this point, has been following God's word and then submitting to God. And what God is saying here now to Hagar is this. I've heard your story, past. I understand that you don't have a clue about your future, future. But I'm going to tell you two things I need you to do. Return and submit. And this is one of the hardest things for us in our culture. We just do not want to submit. We do not want to follow somebody else's leading. We do not want to follow somebody else's word. And, and I struggle with it as well, that when I hear something, there is something within me, that rebel within me, that wants to do it my way, right? But what's interesting about 
Hagar here is that we don't see that. Then the angel of the Lord not only gave her the two questions and the two commands, now he goes and he says this in verse 10 through 12. The angel of the Lord said also to her, I will, in essence, God will, multiply your offspring. What an amazing blessing. So that they cannot be numbered for multitude. You remember what Abram received as the sand on the shore or the stars in the sky? In essence, he is saying, God is saying to Hagar, you're going to get something similar. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant. That's not new news, okay? All right, but here's the new news. You shall bear a son. And you shall call his name what? Ishmael. Ishmael. It means God hears. God hears. And what I find interesting is this. Watch what the next line says. Because the Lord has listened to your what? Not your prayers. Not your petitions. Not your supplications. Not your crying out to me. God has listened. The Lord has listened to your affliction. I want you to know that whatever misery you're going through this morning, whatever trial, whatever trouble, whatever difficulty, I want you to know that there is a God who sees you, but there's a God who hears. He hears. And he says this, that he has blessed her, pronounces this blessing upon her. He prophesies that she's going to have a son. And he gives her the name, gives the name Ishmael, God hears. And God has listened to her afflictions. He's He's hearing her afflictions, and now he, he talks about the character in the future of her son. He says, he shall be a wild man, a, a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone against him, uh, against him. And he shall dwell over and against all his kinsmen. This is going to be the lot of what was going to happen with Ishmael. And some of the fighting that we will see throughout the Old Testament, the sons of Isaac, which are going to come, and then the sons of Ishmael, and the fights that are going to happen. David is going to have to experience this. There are a number of different places in the Old Testament where we find these fights between these two lands, and we see those fights even today. And so what happened is that God is saying this, I'm pronouncing a blessing for you. I will provide for you. I will care for you. I see you. I hear you. I know you. I love you. I pursue you. Hear that from a God, your God, this morning. I want you to hear that God is a gracious God. Well, God sees, God sees Hagar, but what I find amazing here is this, verse 13 to 14, Hagar sees God. Watch what it says. So she called his name, the name of the Lord, so that's why we believe that the angel of the Lord, verse 10, is the Lord, verse 13, Lord, and we see the covenantal name of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. He said to her, you are the God of seeing. You've seen me. And she says, truly, I am here. I have seen him. So now she sees him. God sees Hagar. Hagar sees God. Amazing. Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. You are seen, you've seen me, but I now get a chance to see you. She's not only seeing God for um, what he's looking down on her. No, she sees a God who's gracious and kind and loving. And therefore, the well was called Berlaharoi. It meant the well of the living one who sees me. The well of the living one who sees me. What a great thing. Okay, we end this section with this. The unquestioned obedience, unquestioned obedience, verses 15 through 16. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, and whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Hagar apparently returned to Sarai, and she bore the son of Abram, and they called his name Ishmael. The one person in this story that heard the word of God and followed the word of God and acted obediently was Hagar. She didn't do well in the beginning, truly not. Looking down on contempt with her mistress was wrong. Acting in the way she did was wrong, but what she has done now is that she hears the voice of God, she trusts him, she believes him, she obeys him. I could learn a lot about that today. Maybe you can as well. I want you to end with this. 
I want you to think about these applications that come out of this passage for me. The first one I think we need to hear is this. We need to be very careful of allowing the culture to come in and to invade our homes. We need to be very culture that the world does not influence the decisions that we make. Remember, the decisions that you make are going to have consequences for lasting years. We're going to see the consequences of Abram's decision in Abram's life and then for decades and centuries afterwards. I need you to hear that we need to be very careful that the culture does not influence the decisions that we make. The second thing I need you to hear is this. Sometimes temptations are going to come through those that are closest to you. That, that Sarai was not acting to attack God. She actually believed what she was doing was right, but what she was doing was absolutely wrong. And we need to be able to take the things that come at us and look at those decisions like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. They took what Paul had said and then they went back to scripture to see if what he was saying was true. We need to do the same. So we need to be careful of allowing the culture to influence our decisions. We need to be very careful of making sure that temptation that may even come from intimate people in our lives, we need to funnel that through the word of God. We need to be very cautious that the decisions that we make are laced with and saturated with powerful times of prayer. We should not be making decisions in our lives, even smaller great decisions, without going to God in prayer. It is the, one of the most underutilized tools in the Christian arsenal, and we need to hear that. We need to be in prayer this morning. We need to also consult the word of God. We need to be going through the word of God and looking at to the word of God. Is there anything here that will help me in making the decisions that I need to make today? Because if we don't, what we will find is all the misery, all the struggles and all the trials. I want you to also know this, that God can take our worst mess ups, our worst failures, our worst problems and bring about something for good. The scripture says that he will redeem the years that the locusts have eaten. It says in scripture that God causes all things, and that includes my sinful choices, my bad choices, to, to work together for good. That God has, has, he can restore our souls. He can give us new hope. He can take the pain and the misery of our choices and bring about amazing blessings. The last thing I want you to remind yourself of this. God is a God who pursues. God pursues us. He comes after us. He looks for us. He finds us. I wonder if you are here this morning and you have had a God who has been pursuing you. And as he's been pursuing you, and that you've sat under messages or you've been in Bible studies or you've heard this good news and, and you've said no, no. Maybe you've tried to do it your way, and as you've been trying to do it your way, it has found greater, greater consequences in your life. And maybe you're in some unwanted situations in your life. I I know that there probably are, and maybe you've made some very unwise choices. And maybe the consequences, the marriage that you're in, the pain that you're in, the family, the the decisions that you've made with school, that you didn't do the schooling that you should have. I don't know what the decisions have made. Maybe the church that you're in is not the right place to be. I don't know where. I don't know what the decision is. But there have been decisions that you've probably made in your life that have been resulting in unintended consequences. And these unintended consequences have led to great misery in your life. But I want you to know if the unanticipated blessing... That God pursues you. He's calling you this morning, today. Today could be the day of salvation. Maybe this is the day like Hagar, instead of running away, or instead of Sarai and Abram trying to cover up things and blaming one another, maybe today is the day that you bend your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I trust you, God. I trust you because you are my God. You are the God who sees me. You're God who hears me. But you're a God who's compassionate and caring. I pray that this would be the day that you would do that. And for those of us that have trusted in God, like Abram and Sarah, who are people of faith, I want you to think about this. Sometimes people of faith can do some disastrous things. You need to go back to his word. You need to trust him. You need to know that he is there 
Believe the gospel. Trust God. Would you pray with me this morning? So, Father, I praise you for an incredible two chapters. You've got an incredible whole book, to be honest with you, but these last two chapters are incredible in the fact of the heights that Abram must have felt as he saw you walking through the pieces and he trusted you, he believed you, he he placed his faith upon you and you counted him as righteousness. You applied the precious work of your son thousand years in the future. You applied it to Abram at that point. But from that mountaintop experience, Father, we find that Abram struggled because he, he struggled because he saw promise, but he tried to fix it on his own. And the decisions that he made were just so horrific. Instead of leading his family, he, he capitulated. He became passive. Instead of trusting God's promises and turning to God in prayer, he tried to do it on his own. We've done the same. And Lord, I pray that you would remind us and to see that the consequences are really difficult. Even after repentance, Lord, the consequences may remain. So Lord, I pray that you would remind us that we are people who are under your grace. And we look for a day where there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more pride, no more tears, no more difficulties, no more failure. We recognize that that day will only come as we move from the horizontal to the vertical, as we move from the earthly to the heavenly. And that has been purchased. That ticket to heaven has been purchased through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I do pray for those that have never trusted in your son that today would be the day that they would trust in him. Believe upon him. Follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Blessings, everyone.